passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rated PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. Not except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk, man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. Still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, Come strong, but don't come at all. Come strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. As spring football starts to wind down on the 40 acres, when we next record a show, we'll be previewing the spring game. Nice. It's just flown by really fast. We'll get into the latest here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz. Before I bring in the rest of the team, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of the presentation. You can get this podcast each and every week, whenever it drops on Tuesdays on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. Just search Horns 24-7. It's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. All right, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Terrific. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz, lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Rod Babers. Appreciate the intro as always, brother. Damn good. Rod, I was wondering Damn where – oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I was wondering where we were going to start the show this week because I feel like spring football has hit the point where things are kind of starting to become a little repetitive. I and, agree with you on this. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. 
man, if it if it seems repetitive and if it seems boring, maybe that's the best possible outcome you can have with spring football at this point. Because there there are no big, huge, shocking stories. Nothing nothing really grandiose in terms of good stuff coming out, but nothing knock on wood, nothing really bad coming out yet either. No. There's no splash stories at all. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think you just hit, you know, the latter part of that. There's nothing bad coming out about, oh, man, this group looks bad or there's a lack of depth at this group or, you know, someone's not performing at this group. For the most part, it's been what you get in, in, in spring football. It's been a lot of positive reviews for the most part, and it should be. Uh, but you're right. There's no big splash stories and it doesn't seem to be salacious or otherwise yeah. and it doesn't seem to be any real uh negative nuggets to latch on to um and you know we obviously if there was you know we talk about the good and the bad but yeah i mean i'll admit there's not a lot of bad um insight coming from a lot of the insiders and obviously yeah. uh, you're one of those guys too uh, the biggest positive nugget to come out of the scrimmage for me was that Quinn Ewers, from what we were told at Horns 24-7, pretty just a mistake-free kind of ho-hum scrimmage. And after that, I was like, I don't really need to hear anything else. I mean, if if QB1 had a scrimmage or it was just, it was good, nothing nothing bad, not making the big mistakes, then I'll I'll take that and whatever else happens after that is gravy. Yeah, because so much of the season is going to be wrapped up in Quinn's development and his trajectory and where he is. Uh, you have you got a lot of you know high level weapons on offense, um, but most of them are, in my opinion, in the passing game for you. It's going to be J.T. Sanders, uh, X Man, healthy X Man, um, with both hands. Uh, Jay Witt and his veteran experience there too. And from what we're hearing, a lot of the young receivers look really good. So you're looking at dynamic explosivity on offense. I think if you look at the matchup advantage across the board, it's going to be in the passing game. Now, I'm not saying that your running game is not going to be great, but you're, that's an unproven asset. That's an unproven commodity right. for the most part in the running game. Uh, in the passing game, though, that's where all your dynamic weapons are. You need Quinn Ewers to be clicking, to be playing at a really high level, and to be sharp in order to be able to maximize those weapons. So that's why Quinn's development is key. So I'm with you. If I'm hearing that Quinn's looking good, that he's accurate, that he's, you know, poised in the pocket, that, you know, he's getting the ball out uh, with, you know, rhythm, that makes me giddy as a Longhorn fan because last year was the year of the growing pains, and damn it if we didn't see a lot of growing pains. All right, and, and you know what? We we said before the season, oh, we're going to see growing pains. I don't think we expected to see – you know, the growing pains to the extent that we saw them last season, but that's okay. That's a guy who hadn't played football in a long time, and he was still essentially basically a freshman. Yeah. Um, but now you've worked out a lot of those kinks. You understood the footwork was something that they could not really fix during the season, but obviously that was something that regressed for him and his ability to process and diagnose the the pre-snap reads and the post-snap uh, analysis, the post-snap diagnosis, that's something he's got to work on too. We noticed that's when teams started really getting in his head, when they were able to confuse him, discombobulate him a little bit, and then the golden arm really could not save the bad footwork and the flawed diagnosis of the pre-snap read. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The golden arm yeah. ain't going to save you from all that. You got to fix 
the footwork you got to fix. You know, obviously what's on the shoulders of, uh, in terms of his pre-snap diagnosis. Fix all that. And then the golden arm will accelerate his development exponentially. Uh, and that's what I'm expecting to see this season because mm-hmm. I think this was – remember I told you during the season you can't fix any of that. You got to work on winning games, man. I'm sorry. Like, unless Quinn's working on that on his own. But he couldn't be working on that on his own. He got to be working on the game plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a week-to-week game plan you got to master, too. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's not working on too much on his own. He's got to work on the game plan. The week-to-week during the season is about winning games. During the offseason, that's about you improving your technique as a player individually. Now is the time we expect to see that improvement from Yep, and that's where it's really big to hear that you didn't see any of the mistakes or anything along those lines that if you get to a point where you can just – expect a baseline of just normal production and then you can really see let your playmakers be playmakers as long as you aren't setting yourself self back because I haven't followed his whole football career but like if you look at it Texas I assume that was probably one of the first major injuries he's had while playing football and whenever you have something like that happen that can set you back in your development Mm -hmm. so then now you get to the point that not only are you going through practice but you aren't making those mistakes probably getting back to the level of feeling you know confident in everything that you were doing build that baseline to where at that point you can be as good as your playmakers if you're out there just doing making the offense run the offense runs then everything else can come with it and you can start to make those splash plays that come you know after that yeah he did did have a hernia injury uh his junior year at south lake carroll so i think when you look at quinn's development you know i know a lot of people say well you forget he didn't play you know in 2021 at ohio state yeah but you also look at his junior year at south lake he missed time with that hernia and it was the covid year anyway so it was a wonky spring and summer just in terms of getting the normal quarterback development you'd be getting so really i mean you look quinn basically i don't want to say he missed two years but there was two years where it's very incomplete in terms of his on-field development like in game situations and getting into a rhythm and how how long did the injury keep him out what was it you said a Growing art, what was it? Hernia, I think it was a hernia? sport. I think it was a sports hernia. Yeah, it was probably like four, okay. yeah. about a month, yeah. six weeks. I mean, I, I've never had. Thank God, I've never had a hernia, so I don't even know what it feels like or how it hinders you as a player. Like throwing it's the sound, ball, yeah, which are, it's a court thing. Yeah, it's, it sounds painful as hell. Believe it or not, I know core injuries are hard to believe with someone like me whose only shape is round. But I had a hernia at <laughs> one time. Did you? Or like hell, yeah. What's so the, what the sports hernia? Or what a part of hernia? your body does it hurt? Like where the pain right, comes your from? Stomach, the core. Yeah. Okay, so I imagine that you compensate with that whatever pain. If you're just trying to deal with pain tolerance as a player, you probably compensate with trying not to activate that area. So you're probably doing other things to avoid activating that area, which means you're probably not act. You're probably not following through on technique and fundamentals. Exactly. You're just trying to avoid, you know, whatever yeah. it takes to make sure you don't. No, you're right about that. Right? 100. So Listen you're, to you're, the you're definition. Using more, Probably using more arm strength than Which you need to without you to the body. having yes. those bad mechanics, yeah. and it makes even more sense. Like defined sports hernias are caused by repetitive or explosive motions, especially those that require twisting of the pelvis, such as football. Uh, like I that's mean, exactly that's, a quarterback. That's a that, the, so, yeah. but if you have a magic arm, you can sort of cover those things up, and that can lead you to have bad footwork right. and things that yeah. you're relying on more of just like what a middle infielder a does, you point. know, throwing the ball. I would love to see film. Pre and post injury with him to see if it looks a little bit different, and I bet it looks a little probably not you know noticeably just to the untrained eye, but I bet 
you get a quarterback guru and he'll start breaking it down for you about the hips and all this kind of stuff. And he probably was trying to Evan, avoid activating that area because of the pain. And then maybe, like you just said, Matt, that led to some, you know, bad kind of tendencies. Mm-hmm. And, and he just kind of maybe he just kept it, some it, of that and he did never corrected it totally. And that could also be something going forward that, like, you got to be very aware. I, be, I assume having that happen to you when you're that young in high school makes Quinn very aware of the strength of core yeah. and, like, how much that really does matter, for, especially, you know, for his position, if we're talking about just functionality of your skills. Totally agree. So you got to remember the COVID year, uh, football got pushed back. High school football in Texas got pushed back for the 5As and 6As. Uh, Quinn had the surgery the day before Halloween and wasn't back on the field for a game until right before Christmas. Mm. Okay. That's about six weeks. Something mm-hmm. like that, right? And I wonder what the pain was like coming back. Six, seven, the weeks. rehab and everything. Yeah. I wonder that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just something to consider. It's probably a small, minor thing, but that's what that's what the technique is. That's what, yeah. <laughs> when you're talking about throwing motion mm-hmm. and when you're talking about the mechanics of throwing, it, it's the smallest little details that end up having a, a, a huge effect. A, and when you're talking about uh, accuracy and you're talking about, you know, an, anticipation and all those types of things. So, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he his footwork was, bad even early on yeah. i'm sorry his, his so his last start with uh his, his last high school start pre-surgery was october 30th and then he came back right before christmas okay um yeah i just remember when i had mine and granted i'm not nearly athletic specimen queen yours is there's a lot of land on the couch and uh was told to take stool softeners and eat a lot of activity because you couldn't strain your muscles oh your yeah yeah man yeah. Didn't even go in the toilet and strain. Like, yeah. that's, yeah, I guess that is considered, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's See, rough. there you go. Like, that is rough. But that just that's a great point, though. It's rough point living, out. son. <laughs> but how much of a, a core issue that could be. Right. And here's, here's something, though, and, Rod, I think this is a chicken or the egg thing when we talk about Quinn's footwork and his ability to process. Mm-hmm. I wonder, and man, this is a deep root. I don't, I don't pretend to know enough about quarterbacks to be able to analyze them to this depth. It, is the inability to process leading to bad footwork or is bad footwork and mechanics hindering his ability to process? Oh, that's a great point. Both I, are I probably tied you know? together. Yeah, I'm sure they're tied, tied, gotta be tied together somewhere. You got to bring in a quarterback guru. That's yeah. a great point. I, I, it's pretty obvious that both are issues. Yeah. I mean, you can look, the egg. Yeah, you can look on the film and see, oh, man, okay, his footwork is weird because he's throwing, <laughs> he's throwing mm-hmm. out to the flat, and then look at his feet. Feet are almost facing the same direction, or they're facing, you know, straight toward the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So his footwork didn't match up all the time with his throwing mechanics. That was pretty obvious. But, yeah, it, it, when he had to deal with a team that wasn't playing man coverage constantly or that dealt with a lot of pre-snap shell disguise looks, I mean, yeah, for a guy who hadn't played football in a while, it confused him. I think that is something that should clean up with just more reps yeah. and being able to see more defenses. Uh, but I, I'll I'll admit, yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. Is one tied to the other? And I, they, one affects the other, no doubt. Yeah. But is one causing the other? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like we always talk about like a player and when you have high football IQ and then like you sort of can confuse things from being instinctive to having speed to game speed because you always wonder there's a blurring of those lines and why does this guy look faster on film but he runs this 40 time but like the idea that your pre 
play diagnosis and then your instincts and then your eyes to where there's a pre-snap aspect of it. Then there's a inside the snap, inside the play, identifying and reacting and then playing confidently through what you're seeing and off those ten can make you play faster than your actual speed is and vice versa to where no it's the same idea with the quarterback is you're so blurred where you're trying to diagnose things you definitely cannot be focusing on your footwork and vice versa. Well, no, the footwork's got to be muscle memory. All techniques got to be muscle memory once exactly. you get into the game. So that's why you got to work it in such repetition where it is muscle memory. Now, for quarterbacks, you know, that's, I mean, it's tough for any position because you got to think about all the different physical positions you're going to be putting your body in in certain situations. Then when the rush but still is having coming. to work that technique and still having to work that fundamental. So. You still that that's to me those are separate things in terms of his pre snap diagnosis and the the mental processing of everything. He's got to make sure the footwork is just muscle memory. Yeah. If it's not, that's a problem. That's why mm-hmm. this this offseason. I guess I mean more of like when the seeing the rush, feeling the rush while still looking and understanding. Because yeah, yeah you but have that's your too much for that's no human being is going to be able to think about that much kind of stuff and also think about your footwork while avoiding the rush and and your instincts kicking in. And that's and why I'm saying it's covers. all tied that's together. That's why one has to be muscle memory. Yeah. So it's it's natural. It it just kicks in. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. So you automatically readjust. Like you you automatically talk- readjust your feet after you are, you know, after you have to move around. Like in the Joe pocket. Burrow's unbelievable. Yes, uh, you automatically when you have to throw outside of the pocket, you automatically readjust your it's hips like dancing, and your footwork. Thinking so about some dancing. guys, I think, can do it naturally because they just they just naturally have mm-hmm. great feet. I've known DBs naturally have great feet, but everybody doesn't. And I don't know if Quinn naturally has that, you know, kind of a, a, a elite footwork as a quarterback. I think he's got to work on it, and that's why he needs to be working around the clock on it because yeah. it it don't look like it's muscle memory for him at yeah, all. Yeah, because dance, say dancing, you know, like yeah. some people are just natural dancers. And the arm can save him. The arm can save him. No, it can't. So, but his footwork is sloppy. Yeah. So, but if okay, if your footwork if you is if, if your footwork gonna be sloppy and you got the golden arm, great. Your golden arm can save you on a bad footwork, but it cannot save you on bad pre-snap diagnosis and also your post-snap analysis. It's but not gonna save you on that process. So you can't have both be bad. And last year, yeah. both were bad. Exactly. Both were subpar. All right. So he's got to fix one. And I think you should, to eat elite, you got to fix both. But you got to fix one. And I think the easier fix for me. Well, I, I take that back. I don't know the player. So the player, if he's a high level, high IQ player. Then it's easy to fix the to me the mental part of yeah. it. To me, that's easy. If he's not, and not, not every player is extremely you know gifted in terms of their football acumen, then let's fix the footwork. We fix the footwork, then you know what? We'll I'll simplify everything with the strategy and the scheme. I can simplify that. I can make I can clean up the reads. I can open passing windows with you know targets to motion and the, the formations. I can do that. What I need you to do is clean up the footwork so that when we when I do have the wide open window, you don't miss the throw like you did last year. It was a lot of windows, just missed the throw. Yeah, I, I think Quinn still could benefit from getting with a, a private coach that really is good on, on the mechanics because I, I don't want to get into discrediting anybody's teaching, but he's I, 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 he's worked with Jeff Christensen who works oh, with yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And to your point, Rod, like the two guys that I immediately think of when you think about just horrible, like I would not teach in a quarterback school how to do what they do. Like Patrick Mahomes and Brett Favre are two guys mm-hmm. that I, I would not – you can't teach – how to throw the ball the way they do? How to how to how to play the position the way they do? But to your point, yeah, their their footwork and mechanics at times looks terrible. But pre snap and post snap, they're 
you be you'd be hard pressed to find two who were better at that now, in the history like, of this game than those two guys. When you look at just the si- si- odd situation that he's in, where like a guy in your quarterback room comes from a quarterback royalty family, like just having a kid like Arch, because like I know Arch isn't some teacher, but he's also been around some of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game, and just having that being able to bounce off of the way that Rod you talked about sitting around with the Shanahan's and the Sims is all of college and being able to bounce football off of people that are football guys you know like there may be a level that could come from that because i don't know i you know the technicalities of arches foot but he looks like a guy that has been quite studied since a young player and what you need to do to be a technically sound quarterback yeah i'm glad jeff brought up the patrick mahomes and the brett Favre. it's very interesting because i i think you're around the money there mm-hmm. it, because both of those quarterbacks they have these golden arms right no question about it and yep. it shows you that you've become too intoxicated with the golden arm. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre, he, Brett Favre yeah. stayed in love with he his was golden arm. The, the yeah, whole time. exactly, right? Both he, Andy Reid guys, by the way. And, oh, great point too. Well, because Andy Reid is a guy, kind of a no risk it, no biscuit guy. He's like, no nah, man, we're gonna throw it downfield. We gonna, that's why I got this big arm. Let the artist I, be I, the <laughs> artist. <laughs> um, and I think for for Brett Favre, he was always in love with it, so that's why he let. The NFL interceptions a lot, uh, and is one of the all-time leading interceptions. And even early on, remember for Patrick Mahomes, this is why Patrick Mahomes' evolution is just—it's mind-blowing, but it is scary, man. It is scary because you remember after the Super Bowl, everybody because also he had Tyreek Hill, everybody starts to play all these two high shell coverages because he was just killing everybody with the deep ball because he, you know he's he could make uh, any throw in the football field from anywhere, mm-hmm. which Quinn Ewers has kind of one of them arms. We can yeah. make any throw in the football from anywhere. Um, but, you know, once teams started to just put those two high, deep safeties over him, he started to throw a lot of picks because, you know, they were winning your numbers game. I don't care yep. what you're doing. It's the NFL winning numbers game. Hey, we got more guys in coverage than you got receivers. And you know what? We, we, we can win those battles. And he was still confidently and, forcing it yeah, into Yeah, he was them. forcing it in. He was forcing the football because he was like, no, I got the arm. I mean, mm-hmm. I can make that throw. It's like, yeah, you can make that throw. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you I mean, should make that throw. We saw Quinn And last season – Patrick Mahomes had one touchdown pass over 20-plus yards. Mm-hmm. One. 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 Wow. Where the ball through. One. He, 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 worked, he worked the short game, quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, and he worked the intermediate game. He said, all right, he, that evolution of, you know, to – because most people, they just fall in love with their golden arms and figure, no, no, we're going to keep forcing. Even Josh Allen, I'm going to keep forcing that damn boy. I got the golden arm. Y'all going to see this golden arm. Yeah, 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 we see it. Just because you sh- you can make every throw doesn't mean you should make every throw. And we saw even Sark get intoxicated this year with Quinn's golden arm, right? Yeah. And we saw Quinn get intoxicated. I think, Quinn, I think honestly, Sark influenced him. Um, but honestly, but that's a different discussion. Right. He was loading the beer bong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe Coach Steven more so than Sark. We got to throw that out there because <laughs> yes. we love Sark. Uh, but I think... I, Toward the end of the season, especially in the game versus Washington, I love the passing game plan by Sark. He took some shots, but when it wasn't there, he didn't keep chasing it. Yeah, he didn't get him, but he didn't keep chasing it. He didn't let that – he didn't have a negative effect on the offense, the passing game. And I thought that was good. But it shows you – the examples you brought up that, man – it can happen to anybody. It can happen to any quarterback, to any offensive coordinator. When you have a once-in-a-generation arm like that, you do want to open up the passing game. You do want to open up the playbook and go, man, let's run that. We never ran this route concept before because I never had a quarterback that could throw it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it's and I agree. I want to do that too. But you have to be careful because it's like, it's like the three-point shot. 
You live by the three, you die by the three. Mm-hmm. And we see teams shoot themselves into a grave all the time in the NBA, yeah. lit, dying by the three. Sark died by that deep ball a lot last year. You don't want to do that. Take your shots, but let them be a little bit more judicious. Yeah. That's yeah. why from in, from an NFL standpoint, and I don't want to go off on too many NFL tangents, you talk about the Andy Reid, Mike Holmgren, you know, Bill Walsh kind of West Coast offense, mm-hmm. what that's evolved to. That kind of quarterback mind, though, those quarterback developers, I am fascinated to see what Doug Peterson does with Trevor Lawrence. Again, you talk about a guy that's we saw a lot generational of that type arm yeah. talent mm-hmm. that every every throw in the on the route tree is open. Yeah, but as you develop him and hone his skills and try to go win a Super Bowl with him, teams are going to adjust. He's got to evolve. Where does Doug Peterson go with Trevor Lawrence? Like I'm, I'm fascinated to see. Just totally mid-season, if you watch Lawrence's development this season, because at the beginning of the year, Jacksonville's offense struggled, but then they yeah, really they started focusing more on what Rod was saying mm-hmm. and just quick, pat, quick game little thing. It's how Evan Ingram would get like 162 yards and two touchdowns because all that is is he would be the motion man and he'd be the one getting the quick shot where they'd be going oh, man, yeah. they'd no, go across sense. it, and it would be basically the way that. Uh, you had Kansas City using their guys in the Super Bowl and going in motion and just throwing a little four-yard screen, and he's outrunning that linebacker and busting it for 50, 60 yards. Yep, uh, totally agree. As a matter of fact, that's how Aaron Rodgers ended up winning his last MVP, too, by the way. Yeah, Devontae. He changed yeah. his game totally. Remember, Aaron Rodgers was a guy that would go downfield, and they decided, you know what, now we're going a quick game, and it's Devontae Adams. It was him, you know, in the slot, quick. You know, outs, slants, mm-hmm. uh, targets to motion. What they did with Watson this year. With um, yeah, but the NFL NFL is becoming more of a quick game league, though. Uh, if you look at failed completions, which is basically uh, first down completions that, that don't gain enough yards for the first down. Basically, if you gain at least 45% of your yards needed for the first down, that's not a failed completion. Okay. But if you fail to gain at least 45% of the yards needed for the first down completion, mm-hmm. that's a failed completion. A second down failed completion is a completion that fails to gain at least 60% of the yards needed for the first down. Third and fourth down failed completion is a completion that fails to gain 100% of the yards needed for the first down. You get it. It's basically success rate, mm-hmm. but they flip it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NFL set records last year and this year for failed completions and failed completion percentage um, because everybody's throwing underneath now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Teams are throwing underneath. They're going quick game, mm-hmm. and they're not throwing it. Now, it's strangely enough, Patrick Mahomes, I believe, is the him and Josh Allen actually lead the NFL in failed completion percentage. But my point is everybody's going with more of the quick game, essentially abandoning more of the traditional running game and deciding, all right, you know what? Let's just take the the running game to the perimeter. Let's just take it's just this quick game, and it's getting your quarterbacks in a rhythm too. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it, and that's what I think Sark's got to focus on this year. You you are more you are multi talented when it comes to your skill positions on the outside. Working into the quick game, those I mean, and it comes, that goes with J T. Sanders, that goes with X Man, especially for Jay Witt. Oh, Jay Witt should be your quick game king. I mean, all the takes basically a running back on the outside anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, so when you want to take the running game to the outside, Jay, start with Jay Witt, and then you kind of work your way to those other guys down. So I think that's what you – I don't know if I don't know if you're going to get it. I think that's what you should see this year because you're going to see less 12 person. I heard you talking about it on the show today, Jeff, and I kind of agree with it. I don't know if there is room for a ton of traditional 12 personnel. You may right. get big 12 because you got – where are you deep? You're deep on O-line. All right, let's throw some of the extra O-linemen out there mm-hmm. for that six O-line package. Where else are you deep? Well, deep at wide receiver. All right, we want to play more wide receivers. And I think you're going to get more of that and less of the traditional 12 personnel because I'm with you. The drop-off after JT Sanders is so uh, precipitous. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's worth it 
you know, put somebody else out there on the right. field when you got other dynamic talent you can yeah. put out there. It, it goes back to that 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 scenario I give everybody all the time when you're talking about what personnel grouping is going to work better. If you're talking about the difference between 12 personnel and let's say 11 personnel, who would you rather have on the field? You want a Gunner Helm on the field, or do you want any one of Jonte Cook, Isaiah Nayer, Jordan Whittington, whoever that other receiver Dude, would that be? Who that third receiver is? Yeah. And you know what? Last year. It was, it might it might have been your tight end. Why? Because well, it's better to have an extra blocker for Bijan and Rojo, mm-hmm. who are elite at their craft, elite at what they do. It's better to have an extra blocker in the running game because that's a huge advantage. And we're just going to double down on our advantage already. You, yeah. We already know y'all can't stop these dudes. Now you can't stop them when we got the numbers at the line of scrimmage. All right. So I totally understood why you want to play a lot, and that's why he went a lot of Big Twelve, right? Big Twelve and twelve last year. I think this year you could, and they went a lot of. Two, two, two back sets last year, even though we didn't see it at all in the bowl game. I don't know why, Coach Steven. But I digress. I think this year you may see a little less of that because, right, you had Rojo and Bijan. It made perfect sense. Should have played more yeah. two tail back sets with those guys. Well, now you got unproven commodities at the running back position. I could see them going less two tail back sets, less of the true 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, more big O-line package with the six O-linemen, more 11 personnel like you talked about on Light the Tower. And honestly, yeah. If the wide receivers are as good as you think, potentially you could break out some ten, but then you take off JT Sanders off the field. Yeah. And so I, you know, it depends. It depends on the matchup. But I, JT Sanders to me is a wide receiver, so I could go with a what looks like a ten personnel. Basically, it's just four wide, and JT Sanders. I just move him around mm-hmm. slot or move him around to the outside because you know you don't take that guy off the field unless you really want to get freaky. You really want to get freaky, Sark? You want to get freaky, Sark? You want to get freaky? Because your running backs to me, I know Sark will never do it. But honestly, if your wide receivers are that deep and you are legit, hell, man, you could go you could go full wide with Jay Witt in the backfield <laughs> and keep JT Sanders out there and do something real freaky. Like, that'll be like in a C- 11 personnel package, essentially, but you go positionless and start putting Jay Witt in the backfield. Uh, ooh. Savion Red could be that guy. Savion Red could be that. That may be why he's working. And then you you go empty. Well, you know I love him. And then you just (laughs) started working Savion Red at running back at times this year. So think about that. That's sort of what we talked about whenever the switch for Red went there. And I sort of talked about the idea of cross training. And like, if you are going to see this positionless future, possibly that's one indicator of it. And I just pulled the numbers looking since y'all brought up the quick game for Mahomes, and then I brought up Lawrence and uh, their numbers. It was. Mahomes overall had only 30.4% of his passes went more than 10 yards downfield. He had 9%. Damn. last year? Yeah. 9.4% went over 20, and 21% went from 10 to 19. That's That's minimal. And the thing is, is he completed 80.8%. So who you say? They less than 10% of their passes went 20 plus yards on the field? At 9.4%. I think they led the NFL, one of the leaders, in like two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like, like his key, Hill, I mean, his key, this is just according to PFF yeah, numbers. Yeah, I know. But, just, but uh, I pulled his TD numbers to where it was like in 18, he had 15 of 20-plus yards thrown downfield. In 19, he had 15. In 20, he had 13. In 21, he had 9. Last year, according to PFF, it was 4. But it was still very – I mean, it's a huge difference in how they're playing, and that's yeah. what made me look at the percentage. And then you look at Trevor Lawrence, his percentage of deep balls, 20-plus yards was 11.6. Medium was 20.6, almost identical 
One was 30%, one was 31% of the balls going. I will say that. The stat I got was from Next Gen Stats just throwing it out there. And that's where the yak yeah. yards. And I, I mean, you steered me down this direction because mm-hmm. obviously it's the change. But they in put what, that out there before the in, Super Bowl. And they said they he only had doing. one touchdown pass all season long of 20 plus yards. Oh, yeah. And I just <laughs> wanted to put it out there because of what we're looking at and how much it changed. And what did it remind me of? The time that Texas football was the most efficient passing game ever. When Colt McCoy set the record for completion percentage back in 2008, it was, what, he had completed 78% of his passes nearly that year. And when you look at this, what's Trevor Lawrence at? 80.6. What's Mahomes at? 80.8. So when you look at those, it's very similar, and that's what how Texas used that passing game. It wasn't much down the field. It was finding Shipley and getting areas where he could sit down in his zone. That's what Travis Kelsey does so well, sit down in his zone. It's ways that we talk about Sark's offense trying to find Yak and steering everything off of Yak. And when you look at what you've seen Doug Peterson do and what Andy Reid's done, they're like, yeah, you don't need that guy that takes the top off of the defense. If you don't have it, that's fine. We can get those yards and chunks still. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about last week. And, again, I know I wear out the example, but the old Mike Leach air raid system, like the the kind of the the thing that really fooled people about the air raid. Oh, why are you, why are you going to, you know, Throw swing passes to your running back. It only gains six yards. Right. Well, mm-hmm. what's the difference if I throw a swing pass for six yards or line up and pound in the eye formation for six yards? It's the best I'm, running back in the I'm, history of football if you're getting I'm six still, yards. I'm per. still getting six yards. So what does it matter? And I and I think, again, that's where I hope, I hope the evolution for Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller uh, and as an offensive coordinator is, you know, it doesn't matter how you get your yards as long as you get them. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what happens. But you know, Rod, what's interesting? I don't know if you track this or not, but I know in that Big Twelve package that that six zero line package, they took a lot of their shots. A lot of their shots came came out of that package. I don't know how many came off of traditional twelve, but that's another reason because Sark loves the deep ball so much. That's another benefit of twelve personnel. If you've got guys that can win on the outside, twelve personnel, a big a, a playing with more of a, a bigger surface. Naturally, that's going to eliminate a lot of those two high looks, especially if you got tailbacks like Bijan and Roshan. I'm not going to play in a two high shell. I've got to put it forces you to put an extra defender in the box. Now, when uh, you know you're facing, now you're facing one high looks. All right, if I'm going hard play action and I can get Xavier Worthy or Jordan Whittington on the double move, I'll take my chances throwing a deep ball with that. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with the deep ball for Sark this year, right? Last year, your deep ball didn't work, and yet you had the most formidable threat in the country. Almost a built-in advantage throwing it. Well, you tried training wheels. Yeah. Because you had, you would automatically, there's no way teams were going to play you with two high deep shells yeah. because you had Bijan and, and Rojo in the backfield. There's no way they were going to do mm-hmm. that. And you were going a lot of 6 line, and you were going 12 personnel. So that my concern this year is, well, this year you don't have Bijan and Rojo as built-in advantages. Teams are not going to scheme and game plan to stop your run game necessarily. Uh, hell, they might even go with lighter boxes to stop your running game. And if they're able to do that, that means they're also going to be able to stop the deep passing game, and that goes to the evolution of Sark's passing game. Can it be a passing game that can be built on the short, intermediate passing game? And right now, he's even admitted it's not. It's he's he asked him in the, in the press conference in media availability. They're like, hey, what about the deep passing game? Oh man, we need it. We basically need it in order mm-hmm. for our passing game to work. He's telling you he needs it, and his passing game is inevitably it, it's linked to his play action game. Right? It is an RPO. 
play action pass based offense. So RPO game, that's a short. It's a short game, and essentially RPOs are just it's a fusion of the the quick game and the run game, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's not a deep passing game. So your deep shots, a lot of them will come off of play action for Sark and. If teams aren't, you know, phased necessarily by your run game, I'm not saying they're not going to bite on the play action. People bite on play action all the time. I'm saying the setup initially won't be to put an extra guy in the box or bring somebody down. It'll be guys starting with yep. depth. And they'll bite on the play action, but they still going to have depth. And they bite on the play action. Yeah. They're not going to bite as hard. And I think for Sark, he's got to make sure that his run game this year, which obviously in the bowl game, we didn't see much of it, that it can function and at a high level without Bijan and Rojo, I right now I'm 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 a little you know I don't know I'm a little suspicious right now. I ain't gonna yeah. lie. That yeah. that should be your goal now as a modern day play caller in football because the like you pointed out, Rod, the college game and the NFL game, there's so much symmetry now between the two. That should be your goal. Okay, how do I eliminate them being able to sit in a two high shelf for the entire game? How how fast can I make them get into a one high look? And last year, if you go and look at the amount of deep and whether shots. That, whether that's running the football, whether that's quick game, whatever it is, I got to get – that should be your focus. I got to get them out of the one high look. Then I can take my shots. Agreed. Yep. yep. Last year, by the end of it, it was almost look, twice the me. amount of passes for Ewers 20-plus yards than, say, Mahomes was at 9.4. Ewers was 17.6% of his passes were – 20-plus yard, and that's a high percentage because you already know that those are going to be a traditionally low percentage completion rate. We talk about like 39% is like above average almost if you look at those. 35% is normally where some guys are, and Quinn was down at 16 of 52, so he was at 31%. And it, the total of his play action this past year was 41.4%, and no play action was 58.6. But, you know, Back to a guy that, Rod, you mentioned a minute ago that I think is the key to, I think other than Quinn, I think he's the single bit, most important piece offensively, and that's why I've, I think he's the most indispensable player on your roster. Mm-hmm. We, we talk All these pro quarterbacks we talk about, and I think about another offense that's heavy play action, the North Turner offense traditionally, mm-hmm. which Sark actually has coached under North Turner when he was an assistant coach with the Raiders. Nice. Uh, Troy Aikman back in the day, heavy play action. He had Jay Novacek, Mahomes. He's got Travis Kelsey. Brett Favre, he had Mark Chamura. Matt, you mentioned with Trevor Lawrence, he's got Evan Ingram. I think if you're going to go more quick game, I think it just reinforces the importance of JT Sanders as your intermediate guy. Uh, I agree, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I, I think yeah. including Kelvin Banks, whoever you want to mention, I think JT Sanders is the most important piece, the guy this team can least afford to lose this season. Well, and, you know, in addition, because I totally agree with you about your theory on you, there's nobody behind him that's even close. Right. So to your indispensable point, I totally agree with that. Uh, but also, you know, teams are not, they may, but they're usually not going to put, you know, one of their top cover guys, one of their three best corners on that tight end. It's just, no. too, it's just too hard structurally. It yeah. just throws your defense all out of whack. I mean, you got to move that guy around like J- the Rams do, Jalen Ramsey. Or, sorry, not anymore, but uh, he's with Miami. But how they move him around, or how they used to move Charles Wilson around. Most team, most teams don't build their defense that way. Uh, so a safety ends, usually ends up on them, or a linebacker usually ends up on them. And man, the truth is, 
that's a matchup advantage for Texas every time. Yeah. yeah, There's very few safeties that I would trust in coverage with JT Sanders and, and almost no linebackers that I would trust in coverage on JT Sanders. So you already know you make the reads easy for them. You will clean them up with a lot of play action. But, hell, man, there's a linebacker on them. These are things you know pre-snap based on your, your prep for the game. Linebacker on them. Okay, JT is definitely going to be my number one read here. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. coming, I'm coming off of that guy. Yeah. I'm coming JT. I got you, JT. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of relationship you want Quinn to develop with JT. There's no question in this offense this year, JT Sanders actually should be Quinn's top target. And I don't know if he's going to end up getting more, like, obviously more targets and then, uh, you know, target share than a guy like X-Men. But in terms of his favorite target, mm-hmm. like that that comfort target, that, he, that that's, security blanket. That, that's who JT Sanders should be for Quinn Ewers. We should have more of those plays. So I, yeah. I know target share is not going to eclipse a guy like X-Man, but in terms of those those comfort, maybe third down. Maybe I'm looking at third down money downs. Yep. JT and, Sanders and pressure, should probably be that guy. And he's your safety valve guy. And when, when under pressure, like I know mm-hmm. I've heard Mahomes all season long talk about like whenever he sees that people are coming, like him and Travis are on the same page at Kelsey pre-snap is reading and under, because there's a chemistry that they have. And it's sort of like, well, I prefaced the relationship between Colt and Shipley back when Texas didn't have a tight end, but understanding how to find that spot under a zone. And we've already talked about in the past how Quinn and JT had a relationship going back to high school. There is this little bit of a developed chemistry with him being from Denton, and they would go throw together and be – I mean, we saw it on the very first game of the season whenever there was a guy, a free man, coming, and it was a play where JT was just blocking. And all. what did JT do? Well, he saw that – Quinn had a guy coming at him, and all he did was leak out to the left a tad and end up being that Quinn just impromptu flipped a pass out real quick, and it ended up being that big yak play for JT when he was an intended blocker, wasn't even running around on that play, but they sort he was his valve in that scenario. And we've talked about I've been one just beating it home all offseason that Quinn, I say, was a really good quarterback last year, except when under pressure he was bad. And that's standard. That's normal. <laughs> what, when, quarterback, what quarterback is just off the charts point. under pressure? That's my point. And when, that's why I pulled up these same quarterbacks we're talking about. Because when Kat Clean Quinn Ewers, his NFL passer rating was a 98. It dropped by 48 points whenever he was under pressure. You know what Trevor Lawrence's did? It dropped by 51 points when he was under pressure. It went from a 104 to a 53. What did uh, Patrick Mahomes do? It dropped almost 42 points down from uh, from up from a 119 down to a 77. Like when you look at the drop off from Quinn kept clean, the Quinn under pressure. It aligns with almost every quarterback except for you'll have an outlier superhuman year like Brady did two years ago. Joe Burrow did this past year. A few times you'll have guys that only dropped 20 points. Quinn was one of the best quarterbacks in the country when kept clean. Texas just had a really young offensive line, and that's why next year I think you could see huge growth if the offensive line's able to keep him clean and then say he does develop even more of a chemistry with a guy like J.T. Sanders and then also has, say, the play calling that is sort of tied together with the strengths of the team. You know, Rod, they say behind every every great man is a great woman. Behind every great quarterback more often than not is a great tight end. An offensive line. Mm, you know. I like that tight end thing. Yeah. 
Uh, but, I mean, Brady and Gronk. I mean, just go go on down the list of you know, go look what David Thomas did for Vince Young in 05. Me and Rod were talking about yeah. it last year uh, or last week, just yeah. sort of how it's sort of the hack into the NFL because not only do you have a great tight end, you get in the NFL, you get to pay them a less salary because they don't get paid like wide receivers. But like when you go and look at who has the most receiving production in the entire NFL over the last five years, it's not a wide receiver. It's Travis Kelsey. And, like, if you can get that type of production, especially, say, at the college level, Georgia did it this past year. They had two of the best tight ends in the country. But, Rod, we were, you know, we've been doing this show for over a decade now, and it only took us that long before we finally we finally found our unicorn. We've finally been talking about a five-tool tight end for 10 years. Yeah. And through all the guys Texas got and all the recruiting misses from MJ McFarland, Durham Smythe, Ricky Seals Jones, and Devoner Clarington, DeAndre McNeil, DJ Grant, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of guys. Finally, the unicorn surface. Sasquatch Sasquatch revealed himself. Yeah. And his name is JT Sanders. He was an athlete that luckily our offensive minded coach wanted to keep it tight in. Yeah, and I was one of those like I've said it before, I'll say it again. I was one of those guys that was like, Oh no, he needs to play defense, he needs to play defense. Until I saw him with my own eyes play offense. Yeah, ball skills. I, said, I remember no. seeing that first highlight of that TD catch in one of the big, I think it was a state championship or the final four games. Like, this dude, he's out there mossing kids, and he's like 250 I mean, pounds. How many guy, I don't know how many guys, period, let alone a guy who's 6'4", 230, can just like one-handed palm a tunnel screen and then burn off on a defense for 50 yards. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now he's one of those. Huh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think most great Tight ends are projects of some kind. They're just athletes that you have to kind of mold into being mm-hmm. a great tight end. Antonio Gates was a basketball that. player. Yeah, yeah, I think that's just the way to tight end. It's very because you're just Kelsey at the high school level. Not a lot of high schools utilize the tight end position like that because yeah. they become so spread oriented. Mm-hmm. So now with the proliferation of spread, you almost have just find a really good athlete who's going to grow because you know you're not you're not going to have that kind of size usually either mm-hmm. at the high school level. So you got to find a guy that's going to grow into being a great athlete there, and JT Sanders was a perfect example of it, mm-hmm. too. And I honestly give Coach Banks some credit, man. Yeah. Yeah, Banks is a damn good coach. Uh, you're, speaking, of, speaking of Antonio Gates, you, your guy Tim Brewster gets a lot of credit for Bro, developing yeah. Antonio Gates. Yeah, no, no, tight end guy. Uh, Antonio, Gates, yeah. Antonio Gates Hall of Famer? He's in that discussion. He's definitely in that discussion. i got to look at his stats, but I'm sure he's – among tight ends, I'm sure he's – It's much easier yeah. to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame than it is, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know? Mm, I don't know about that. You don't think so? I don't know about that actually. I don't know if that, I mean I I don't know. Easier is a relative term. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't necessarily know about that. Dion would agree with you. Dion says you, you way got, too you, damn got easy. So, you got something, Matt? I'll yeah, I, just by I still had Quinn's page up, and this is just as maybe a statistical anomaly because I was looking at uh, the kept clean and then the under pressure numbers, and like of course like his big time throws whenever kept clean was sixteen, and he had six turnover worthy plays when kept clean compared to under pressure. He had six turnover-worthy plays to only three big-time throws, which makes sense. But the thing that I think is just an outlier of bad luck, when kept clean, all 16 of the drop passes, according to PFF, were also on situations when Quinn Ewers was kept clean. Yet all of his attempts went under pressure. There were zero drops. That's just bizarre and weird. That is strange. That's very weird. That can't be right. Oh, this was back in 2011. That's why that's not right. Like, there's no, there's more than eight tight ends in the Hall of Fame. Okay, uh, yeah, because well, actually, yeah, maybe not many more though. Probably, probably what ten? They're probably not. Maybe yeah, not many more. Are many. Uh, like, you got just, oh, here it is. I got it right here. I got it right here. Some uh, of the old school guys. 
Tony Gonzalez, Shannon Sharp, Dave Casper, Kellen Winslow, Ozzie Newsome, Jackie Smith, John Mackey, Mike Ditka, Charlie Sanders. Yeah, there's actually not that many. As I said, it's not That's time. it. But then you, you're going to have guys like, okay, Old school An- guys. Antonio Gates, by the way, should be. Oh, He's going to get in, yeah. Rock Gronk is going to be in there. Travis Kelsey's on his way. Jason Witten will be in there. That's We're true. just in like the best era of tight ends ever. You have a rush of tight ends yeah. in there. You have a group going in. Um, I even forgot what I was going to talk about from a Texas standpoint, but I'm just I'm just happy that we finally found our unicorn, our five tool tight end, mm. surfaced after all this time. So, all right, I so finally, what's next? The next decade, what does Texas need to find? Oh, uh, I don't know. Give me. Let Coach, me. Can I start next Mac Brown? Can I just continue to celebrate this for a little bit and just like just breathe it in, just soak it in? <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. Uh, I almost cussed. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of Jatavian Sanders and the time he's got at Texas. Yeah, yeah. he ain't staying long. No, nah. he may only have one no, more sir? year. Noser. Um, so just a couple other spring tidbits, and I think this kind of this is where we'll go kind of next week as we preview the spring game. But you know, a lot of talk. I was at the availability today with Sark, and a lot of talk about development and guys that are going into their third year under this coaching staff. Some of these guys have been here longer, like Keaton Crawford got here in twenty twenty. David Benda, we talked a lot about last week in twenty nineteen. Uh, but like Juan Davis is a guy that's third year in a program, and Sark likes the progress he's making. He was one of f- several guys that Sark said, "Hey." We're seeing the best of Juan Davis that we've seen. We're seeing that this spring. Really? Rod, that on top of being, quite frankly, like a boring in the best way possible spring, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe maybe we're finally starting to see player development go in the right direction. Definitely did last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was one of the best uh, one-year kind of turnarounds that we've seen in a long time in terms of player development because – all the improvement was across the board mm-hmm. yep. from almost every position. So I, I agree. They've done a great job, and they kept the coaching staff intact for the most part, made a couple of changes here and there, and a couple of changes happened, obviously. Uh, coach, you know, coach Drayton leaving, that kind of stuff. But either way, it's been, it's been, everything's been beneficial. Uh, yeah. All the moves they made have been beneficial to development, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. I mean, Texas' biggest issues have been. Honestly, talent development and schematic advantage probably over the last five, six years. And if you can now take talent advantage off of that list, then it just goes down to getting a schematic advantage. And I'll admit, even this year, uh, Texas schematically at times did have that advantage, just not consistently for all four quarters. Exactly. And that's what's been so big because I think – in there's always like the things that Texas can improve on, but it's also over the past decade, where has Texas been deficient where the rest of college football has became so improved. And we saw that at work against Texas so bad for a decade, whenever the big 12 exploded into the most modern, that was the most aligned with what the players were coming in and ability to have no turnover and just step in and produce Texas was basically working in reverse to that for about good five years. And then because of that and the successes of the others, the others' talent started to catch up to the point that you were deficient in scheme and they were accelerating the speed and scheme and then the talent. And that's how you could have some it flip for Texas in a decade so fastly. So that's why it's so big to not only see the talent, because we've always talked about Texas going to have the talent, but you weren't developing it. And then you were deficient in the scheme, and it got to a point that it really became insufferable to be able to deal with, and it seemed like you had a, you're had you just trading against water the entire time. You know, I, I go back to the 
you know, Rod, one of our mentors, Teflon John Madani, mm-hmm. in a line he always used, man, stats are like a bikini. They show you a lot, but they don't show you everything. And mm-hmm. two of the tools we use at 24-7 Sports, uh, the team talent composite and the blue chip ratio, you look at those numbers year after year, and, and especially lately, and Texas has been a top five to eight type team in the oh, country yeah. in terms of both those metrics. No but doubt. you start looking at the rosters like, okay, how many of those four and five stars are actually contribute? like are starters? How many of them are contributors? How many of them, of far too many of them, are just kind of buried on the depth chart? Just their mm-hmm. core special teams guys or whatever. Uh, they're not guys on offense and defense that are helping you win games. That's, true. That's been a really big problem. Not and developing and then not being amplified. Like, like I said, if, if, you, if you can get to a point where this is where I'm starting to come around for 2023. If you can look at the 2023 season and say, you know what? If they didn't reach whatever you feel like their win ceiling is or whatever the bar, wherever you choose to set the bar, listeners, if they don't reach that, my hope is that it's not for lack of talent and it's not for lack of player development. Now you're talking about, Rod, that 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 last mm-hmm. piece you're talking about. Was, okay, now it's a scheme, game planning, play calling, yeah. adjustment, whatever issue at that point. Yeah, it's a chess match within the game uh, yeah. that I've been really critical about with the coach staff, but I think it's a good thing because that is, yeah. like I said, that may be the last piece that you're looking for right. for this team to finally get to a championship contention. And, you know, the I think the most uh, disappointing thing about Texas football in Big 12 play, and we're about to leave to go to the SEC, um, is that, Texas, I don't think, man, honestly, since I've been at, since I went to Texas in 1999, I'm not sure, based on recruiting rankings and based on those blue chip ratios you just brought up, I'm not sure there's any any year that has gone by where Texas, based on those rankings, hasn't been considered the most talented team in the conference. Yeah. Very, very few, if any. Yeah, you always I, had OU players based on those the ones that were overdeveloped. Never. Yeah, bad, yeah, Oklahoma always is. Yeah, exactly. They well, develop their talent, but yeah, in terms of those rankings, and that's tragic. Because you really you had, you ain't got enough trophies and championships to show for it. Kind of, kind of to your point though, Rod. If if you look at the years where because there was kind of late Mac throughout Charlie where Texas. Probably still still be, the best in the Big Twelve in terms of if you look at the blue chip ratio and the team talent composite, probably the most talented roster in the Big Twelve. You would say, uh, even though they had noticeable position oh, deficiencies yeah. no, like I a quarterback. But man, everybody else in the Big Twelve, like TCU, Baylor, at that time, so many other teams had a, had a, such a schematic advantage over you that the talent discrepancy really didn't matter. Agreed. And that's our I think point. that's the, the, the yeah, exactly that's the yeah. tragedy. Is that everybody else says, Oh, I need is talent. I get talent, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And Texas has already had that. They've had that. They've had tons of it. Oh, I need resources. Well, Texas had tons of resources. Yeah. Oh, I need to be able to hire good coaches. Well, I know it doesn't seem like it, but Texas is actually supposed to be hire, maybe to hire good coaches too. That's and they, going back to their biggest issue has been can they develop the talent they have? If you can develop the talent, you'll at least get to where Mac Brown was, where he's yeah. winning double-digit games. You may not win the conference every year, but at least you can win double-digit games yeah. and be in the championship conversation. And when you really... marry the scheme with the development, you get what, say, Oklahoma's done, and they outperform you for, what, 15 of the 20 years. Exactly. And then you're dealing with first-world problems. Like, Rod, like you said, you got called a bum, and you were on teams that won 11 games two years in a row. Oh, yeah. Finishing the top five in the country. Should have won should have won a Big Twelve title though. And but there's a di- there's a we difference. Were good enough to win. There's one. a difference between man, we were good enough to break through and win a national championship. To man, we we're good enough to break through and finish among the two or three best teams in the conference. 
Yeah. For yeah. it's it's dealing, you know, those are problems you don't want to have. You want to be dealing with first world problems again. Agreed. Yeah. So that's where we'll leave it. Spring game preview coming up next week, and then we get to uh throughout the off season, get to dive into this more mm-hmm. once we get to the eye test next Saturday. Uh, coming up at DKR. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rob, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod each and every weekday with my cards on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Anytime. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.